tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello, happy feast of the Lateran Basilica. You may wonder why we're celebrating a building, but hey, why not? So we'll explain it during the course of the show, but let us begin as we always do with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit that shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. Do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all right, let us go to the big book on the coffee table, as we always do. And uh, let me pull this up. This is, well, why don't I just start with a little bit about the, the, the Lateran Basilica. This is, again, take this with a grain of salt. It's, it's a very ancient building, but it was a- actually belonged to the Laterini family, hence Lateran. And um, it came into the possession of the Emperor Constantine because it had been the, the it belonged to his first wife's family. And, well, uh, she had... Um, <laughs> displeased the emperor and uh well we needn't go into that but uh when he decided after his his uh, conversion to christianity uh, he decided to offer it to the bishop of rome uh as a residence and uh that's how it came to be the cathedral of rome and there's very very little left of the original laterini palace before that uh, I believe, I, I, I'm not sure if we know much about where the Pope resided, but I had heard he resided at the Church of Santa Pudenziana, which is actually one of the most ancient still-functioning churches in Rome. And it's it's a, uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating uh, little building. And uh, it was the home of the Pudens family, who was a Roman senator, uh, and I believe his daughter was a Christian martyr. I, I, I'm just sort of reaching into the depth of my bag of obscure knowledge, which is a confusing place even for me. But um, that, that that was kind of where it, it was the custom of, of wealthy Christians to open their homes uh, as churches. And you see a number of churches in Rome that are built over the remains of ancient Roman houses. Well, it's interesting. The archaeology of it is kind of muddled, but it's a pretty good 
possibility that Santa Pudenciana was in effect the the Vatican of the of the first few centuries. Well, uh, the voice of my head is asking me, do I have a favor of the papal basilicas? Oh, it's hard to say. It's got to be St. Mary Major or or um St uh St Paul's outside the walls. I love St Paul outside the walls because there was a I'm way off the topic now, but I'll talk about it anyway. It was it was a um it was damaged in a fire and they restored it to what it probably looked like uh when it was built. And so it's it's a classical uh uh version of of the ancient Roman basilica. You see the basilica <laughs> is related to the word in Greek for kingdom, the word I'm always beating you with, the, the basileus. A basilica was a, a, a royal hall or a court. It was just the largest uh, building structure known to Romans, and, well, it could be easily converted to Christian use. Uh, but that's how we got the basilica, the idea of the basilica structure. Some beautiful, beautiful churches in Rome and in the world. And... Uh, we might talk a little bit about that in Mass Hysteria today. But let me get back to the topic here. Uh, that's what we're celebrating. In a sense, we're celebrating the liberation of the church from three centuries of persecution in the beginning. And um, there are different historical perspectives, different ways to look at it, that um, I've heard scholars call it the Constantinian moment. That that this was a moment in the history of the church, at which we were not actually the state church, but our real estate was restored to us, um, freedom was given to us, and uh, the Roman organization, Roman authority, began to back the faith, and it spread throughout Europe and the world because of that. Other people would look at it and say, yeah, the Roman government co-opted the church. And, you know, I, I think in that perspective, uh, there is some truth uh, that that um, the identification of church and state really did start uh, right there. That, that ancient people couldn't see the, the idea of the separation of church and state, whereas I maintain that Christianity has a certain sense of separation of church and state built in when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. However, that doesn't mean the church is less important than the state. On the contrary, the church is 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 a political organization, but politics, uh, not the politics of this world, it's the politics of the kingdom of God, which are quite different. Uh, we are supposed to be critics and um i mean that in the the constructive sense uh, but we're meant to be uh um, the watchdogs of society and even when society doesn't like us to 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 bravely and honestly say um this is wrong um and we can't go along with you so you know that 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 it's very important that we maintain our independence from the state and uh um, well, let me get to the readings. Uh, this is from Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel's vision of the, of the restored temple. And I just want to, to oh, I'm going to get sidetracked again. The temple was built on Mount Moriah, which is the, the, the high point of the old city of Jerusalem. 
it, it was a um, pretty steep mountain on the sides. Uh, it wasn't a high mountain. We would think of it as a rather glorified hill, but um, it was a rocky um, outcropping. And on the top, there was a threshing floor, and King David had a vision of an angel sparing Jerusalem from a plague that, well, he had brought on by his sins. And uh, um, he bought that threshing floor in order to build the temple to the Lord on it, the high point of Jerusalem. And the prophet said, you're not going to do this because you're a man of blood. Your son will do it. So Solomon built this temple. And in order to build the temple, he built a retaining wall around the crown of this this hill and built a great platform that was perfectly square. And the the Holy of Holies was built on this threshing floor of around the Jebusite. Uh, and that persisted on and off for the next 800 years. Now, that said, the temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. Ezekiel is having a vision of the temple restored, and he sees water flowing from the side. Now, this is kind of interesting to me, because um, in the Gospel of John, at the end of the Gospel, the crucifixion, there's an interesting kind of pause where the author of the Gospel of John says that the person who says this, his testimony is true, that blood and water flowed from the side of of, of the Lord. And um, there's big emphasis on how this is eyewitness testimony. This is true. Blood and water flowed from the side of the Lord. And it's interesting. In the Shroud of Turin, there is, uh, you can't see it without, uh, uh, I think it's uh, ultraviolet, ultraviolet light, that that there are, the blood stain at the side of the man of the shroud is surrounded by a clear liquid. You can only see it under, un, it only fluoresces under, I think, ultraviolet light. And uh, um, it was never visible to the naked eye. But <laughs> what happened is when, when you die that kind of death, your pericardium, the area around your heart, fills with clear fluid. And what would happen is uh, when a spear was thrust into the side, piercing the pericardium, this envelope around the heart, that blood would flow out and then what appeared to be water. And John would have gasped when he saw that. Remember that John was there. He would have just gasped because there's another place in Jerusalem where blood and water flowed out of the side, the temple, because there were drains from the altar to absorb the rivers of sacrificial blood that sometimes flowed in, in the temple. And uh, the, this, this blood would flow out into the Kidron Valley from a drain in the side of the temple, and then they would pour water in to cleanse it. So you would have blood and water flowing from the side of the temple, and Jesus said, this is the temple of my body. I think that's utterly intriguing that that uh, uh, John realized what Jesus had said, destroy this temple, and I will build it up in three days. Now, uh, I want to go to the second. I, I just think that's a fascinating thing, that Ezekiel is talking about about the water that will flow from the side of the temple that will... That will uh, uh, enrich and fertilize and make 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 healthy uh, the banks of the river. He's having a vision of the true temple, the body of Christ being pierced uh, 
for the salvation of the world. I, that's, I think that's beautiful, but that's just me. All right, uh, then we go to 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. You are God's building. Um, no one can lay a foundation other than one that there is, namely Jesus Christ. I remember a, a speaker at some priest conference I was at uh, was a very great, great man, and he said, we need to get beyond the historical Jesus to the Christ of faith, and we can't be stuck on the historical Jesus. And the question and answer period, I went to the microphone and I said, you know, I, I kind of think I am stuck on the historical Jesus and the Christ of faith. I think they were the same person. That idea that somehow we can get beyond Christ as Christians no one can lay a foundation other than the one that's there. You can't get beyond Christ. If if you if you build your own temple, you build your own kingdom, well, good luck. That phrase, as I always tell you, build the kingdom, it isn't in the New Testament. There's one reference in Jeremiah where Jeremiah is called up to build up kingdoms. In other words, to establish royalties. Uh, but you can't build the kingdom. You can't build royalty. You either are or you aren't. And... Um, I think that that's true of the temple too. Uh, that 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 Jesus has established the temple of His body, and uh, uh, this is the place for the uh, the dwelling place for the Spirit of God. So you know, be wary of people who want to get beyond the historical Jesus to the Christ of faith. And the same Jewish guy. So, all right, let us go to the gospel reading. Uh, very telling phrase. We talked about it, I think, a couple weeks ago. Since the Passover of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. What other Passover would there be? Well, there was the Passover of the Essenes. There was the Passover of the Karaites. There were all these different Jewish sects uh, that had different calendars. This is the Passover of the Judeans. Jesus celebrated Passover the day before uh, um, uh, this uh, this celebration of the Passover of the Judeans. He was on a different calendar. Uh, so that's kind of, I think that's kind of interesting. But that's not really what I want to talk about here. I want to talk about the situation in the temple. I have explained how the Temple of Solomon was built on this platform the, the, of retaining walls that, that encased the crown of Mount Moriah, the, the hill north of, uh, on the north side of the old, uh, the old city of David. King Herod extended that perfectly square platform to a rectangle that was, I think, the size of 10 football fields. It's huge. And you'll see pictures of the Wailing Wall. That's part of that retaining wall, or the Western Wall. Um, the Dome of the Rock is, is where the temple had stood. Uh, it's just huge. And... Um, they commemorated the position of the original temple square with a low wall past which no non-Jew, non-Israelite could pass. Uh, and there were signs in it. If you go past this point, we can't be responsible for you. You would be torn limb from limb if you did. Well, this vast plaza that was built outside of this original uh, 500 cubits square, that would, what would, would 500 cubits be? About 700 square feet. Um, it was used for government buildings. There were porches, uh, where rabbis taught, uh, but also there apparently were these huge, uh, um, 
markets where you could buy uh, the sacrificial animals that were certified kosher. You'd come in from the country, you have your two turtle doves because you're poor, and two turtle doves would cost two or three days' salary. I mean, meat was expensive. And, uh, well, you'd, you'd come in with your two turtle doves, and some Levite would say, well, we can't offer these to the Lord. This this bird had a broken wing, and but it's the eighth day. Where am I going to get a, a, a certified kosher tur- turtle dove at this point? The, the bazaars of Annas just outside uh, the sacred precinct. You can buy one there. And those cost two weeks' salary. The family of Annas... He was the high priest. His sons were high priest after him. His son Caiaphas was high priest, and they controlled the concession of kosher animals at jacked up prices. And so Jesus uh, uh, threw them all out of the temple area because non-Jews, Gentiles, could only go so far. And they had to stop. They could only look at this incredibly beautiful temple where God met humanity from a distance. And it was considered one of the most beautiful buildings in the ancient world. People came from all over just to see this building and to, to, to witness the testimony uh, to the God of Israel. And what did they hear? What did they smell? A stockyard. And Annas and his family were making money hand over fist. This is in Talmud also, that, that uh, Annas was just a, a shyster. Uh, he was a thief, as were his family. And so Jesus made a whip out of cords and drove them out of the temple area with sheep and oxen, spilled the coins of the money changers. Who were the money changers? Greek and Roman coins had images of, of foreign gods, and you couldn't go into the sacred precinct with... with uh, um, with the image, the graven image of a foreign god. So you would change your money for a slight fee to kosher uh, temple money that had no graven image of foreign gods on it. Those were the money changers. that They, they gave you kosher coinage that you could offer uh, in the temple or just money that you had in your pocket. You couldn't, you wouldn't dare go into the temple with the image of a foreign god in your pocket. So um, they were making money hand over fist on this thing. That's why Jesus turned over the coins of the money changers, and he, the people who sold the doves, he said, "Take those out of here." Uh, uh, and and uh, um, uh, that the money changers in the temple were performing a very useful service, as far as they were concerned. And Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. And he was speaking of the temple of his body, as John saw, as John understood when he saw water and blood flow from the side of Christ's body. I think this is really great stuff. I love these obscure things, but I hope you do too. I don't know. We're, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with, we'll talk about mass hysteria briefly today. And... um then we will uh, read some letters. And the phones will be opened at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Gather us in the rich and the haughty. Gather us in. It sounds like a pirate song. I tell you about we had this professor. He he 
retired from the ministry shortly after this, but we had a professor who had studied in Germany about, he'd studied all of the great theologians who didn't believe any of this stuff. And, um, um, you know, the, the big thing was, well, who knows about the resurrection? All we have is the empty tomb, which isn't really true. The, the scriptures say that the shroud was still there. And when they saw the shroud, they believed. So at any rate, but he would compose these, these songs with these sophisticated theological lyrics, like, uh, I remember, uh, run, Christian, run, run to Galilee. He, the, the Lord is risen. He's no longer there. Run, Christian, run. <laughs> we call them the Dead Sea Chanties, but I digress. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll talk about mass hysteria here. Let's Dogs see and here. cats living together. Uh, mass hysteria. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, you know, just very briefly, since we were talking about the temple, uh, the, the word temple is kind of a, a hard to understand word in ancient world and languages. You had the, the sacred precinct and in it you had the shrine. You had the Hieron, which was the sacred precinct, and then you had the Naus, which was the, the, the shrine. And, this was kind of a pattern that, that it was kind of like concentric boxes. You drew closer and closer to the presence of the Lord. And the scriptures say that Moses was to build the tent of meeting, the, the tent in which the Ark of the Covenant would be kept where God would meet his people. Uh, he was to build it according to the pattern he had seen on the mountain. God showed him the temple. And so... When they built the temple uh, in Jerusalem, uh, you know, there were really a number of temples. We always talk about the first and second temple. There were more like four or five of them. There was the temple at Shiloh, uh, in which the Ark of the Covenant was first kept, and then it was lost to the Philistines, and David brought it into Jerusalem. And his son Solomon built a temple that was destroyed, oh, 580 years before Christ, give or take, uh, by the Babylonians. And then they came back and built a temple that was just really nothing compared to the Temple of Solomon. And that was destroyed, I mean, taken down and rebuilt uh, about 200 years later. And then Herod came in and rebuilt the temple, this fantastic temple. The, the front was 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 plated with gold so polished that you couldn't look at it in the, in the sunrise. He built this glorious monument to the greater honor and glory of Herod. And uh, then that was destroyed uh, a century later, not even a century later, by the Romans. But all those temples were built according to the model seen in on the mountain by Moses. And our churches are meant to be built according to that model. Now we build churches, as I always say, that look like spaceships from the planet ugly. How outrageous can we get? How strange and labyrinthine can we make our buildings? And we forget that we have received a model from the Lord. Now one can apply um, art from different periods to it, but we have an essential model that talks about the pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. You come into the vestibule, you come into the holy place, and you come into the holy of holies. You've got your vestibule, you got your sanctuary, you've got, uh, whether you're an orthodox, you got your sanctuary. And that's the consistent tradition uh, that that we have. And to, 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 
depart from it is to depart from the universality of the church, to depart from the Catholicism of the church. Um, I, I've shared with you the idea that art is meant to lift the heart and mind to God, that progression up to the up to the, the dwelling place of God is the symbolism of the temple that you, you enter into deeper and deeper intimacies. I shared the other day about, about bells, <laughs> that the high priest wore bells on his garment so that they knew that he was still alive and communing with God. And we had bells ringing in the mass and they rang more the closer we got to the moment of communion. There's symbols that were entering into the communing of God. It's taken from the temple. And these beautiful symbols that people, I, th I really think as a result of, of <laughs> the, the ingrained anti-Semitism of the last 800 years, we, we didn't study things Jewish because, well, who wants to study things Jewish? We've got something better. No, we fulfill the covenant with Israel. And when you are ignorant of the details, the symbols of that covenant, and you build a building that is looks secular in its purpose, that's unfocused, then you, you're denying the universality of the church. Our universality, our Catholicism, which is, of course, what the Greek word Catholic means, our Catholicism goes back <laughs> to before Christ. You see, the church is the first of God's creations, the early Christians believed. It was created before the universe. And our, our, our tradition takes us back not simply to, to, to the times of Jesus, but to the times of Abraham and ultimately to Adam and Eve, that the temple itself was a model of paradise. So, just a thought. Um, uh, let's let's move on to letters. That probably is a smart thing to do. Okay. You know, the controversy about righteous anger goes on. Um, the the I got a, a very, very good letter from Tim from Jacksonville about um, quoting uh, uh, St. Augustine. Uh, the, and well, this one is from, um, the introduction to the devout life, uh, uh, by, uh, is it, uh, Saint, uh, by, uh, DeSales. Yes. Uh, uh, um, and he, he is together with Augustine on this. I state absolutely, well, he, is he quoting, here are two quotes from the chapter that seem to show all three saints are against every kind of anger. I state absolutely and make no exception. Do not be angry at all, if possible. Do not accept any pretext whatever for opening our hearts uh, door to anger. St. James tells us positively and without reservation, the anger of man does not work uh, the justice of God. And point two, it is better, says Augustine, writing uh, to Profuterus, to deny entrance to just and reasonable anger than to admit it, no matter how small it is. Once let in, it is driven out only with difficulty. It comes in as a little twig, and in no less time it grows big and becomes a beam. Well, what about the texts in Scripture that say, be angry but do not sin, and we have this... this um, a text today in which Jesus is clearly angry. You don't make a whip and use it if you're not angry. Well, you know what? I'm not Jesus. I'm not God. I think anger is, 
Uh, this is this is the Pentecostal talking here, the old Pentecostal. Remember, Pentecostalism isn't a religion, it's a spirituality. But I think a person who has genuine prophetic gifts might experience something that I would call prophetic anger, that the Lord in him is angry about something. And the Lord is never angry at someone. The Lord is angry about a situation, uh, uh, I think, which is different. And there's sometimes when a person who has a genuine prophetic gift is um, enlivened by the Holy Spirit, to be angry at a situation. I've seen that, especially in, in situations of exorcism or, or prayer for deliverance. But, you know, when you talk about righteous anger, it is a very slippery slope. I was in a, a, a church that that was just an angry, angry place. Uh, and why, why would they think that anger was holy? Because it's such a nice emotion. It feels so good. And if you can baptize anger... Uh, you know, I'm angry and this is pleasing to God. No, I don't. Uh, anger should be very righteous. Anger is a very rare event in anyone's life. Well, you say, I just get angry, Father. I can't help it. What can I do? Y anger is a vice. Anything you can't control is a vice. But you can control it if you want to. And the way you control it, the no habit of vice is overcome except by a habit of virtue. Now, I want everybody to join me in this. If you're not driving, you can close your eyes. If you're driving, keep your eyes open. But to everybody, take a deep breath. All right. <sighs> and as you let it out, just say quietly to yourself, Jesus, I trust in you. Let's do that again. Everybody, America, <laughs> listeners in Lithuania and the world, everybody take a deep breath. Jesus, I trust in you. It's like a sedative. We have just reduced the amount of anger in the world. Isn't that special? And if you, if you develop that as a habit, when you feel that little monster of anger welling up in you, somebody cuts you off or something, just, Jesus, I trust in you. Stop enjoying anger. <laughs> Realize it's a vice. And develop the habit of taking the deep breath and saying, Jesus, I trust in you. It's good for anger. It's good for anxiety. Um, there you go. Uh, of course, I'm not a medical person. I just come from a long line of hypochondriacs. All right, uh, let's move on to another. What, what's our time frame here? We're doing fine. Hold on. Okay, the voice of just said, we got plenty of time. Who's paying attention? All right, let's see here. Oh, this is fun. <laughs> I, I probably should save this for another uh, uh, um, mass hysteria segment. Uh, <laughs> this is from Jacqueline in Houston. Could something be said about the music at mass? I'm having problems following quietly with the prayers of the mass when music is played. Of course, it, if it's growing in poppers or Latin hymns, one can follow the poppers reasonably well in the missal. Or if the hymns are recognizable, my problem is with ornate organ music. I can't follow Mass when listening uh, to all of the trills. Plus, if the volume of the organ is louder than Father's voice, I can't pray along with the Mass. Did I satisfy my Sunday obligation? My child, you have satisfied your Sunday obligation. 
the penance for your sin will be taken out on the organist by the Lord. Obviously, I get distracted. Does anyone else have this problem? Oh, oh, yes. And then she goes on. It just worries me that this is a worldly trend to have the best organist or whatever. Of course, everything even loves good music, but it has its place of value in each setting. And the general instruction to the Roman Missal, and I think Sacrosanctum Concilium says this, the organ exists to support the human voice. You get the feeling from from um, certain church documents that the organ is considered a necessary evil. In other words, it's it's close to the human voice and it should be played in such a way that it supports the human voice. But I have known so many choir directors whose entire self-worth depends on whether or not you liked the music. I will never forget being at a grand a grand festival. It was, I think, a, a new bishop had come to town, and of course uh, we had to kill the, the, the fatted chicken and uh, have the great celebration. And there were two, count them, two orchestras one in the sanctuary one in the in the choir loft it was sort of a a celestial battle of the bands and the the choir director slash organist ran up to me afterwards and said oh father what did you think of the music and i so wanted to say oh i really enjoyed it i hope god did too you see the sound of the human voice you're at a concert your kids are singing and you strain to hear the voice of your little Liebchen, your little sugar cookie, and all those other loud, horrible voices, uh, you know, uh, are drowning out the gem of your heart. And that's what you want to hear. Well, the father wants to hear his children singing. And um, when it's being drowned out by organ music that is loud enough to cause blood to come out the ears, uh, and grand enough to to uh, to befuddle King Louis the Fourteenth. Um, well, that's not pleasing to God, and the organ exists in church to support the human voice. That's what it's there for, and it should never overpower the human voice, especially especially with some of the stuff that they play. Well, let's move on here. Um, All right. Uh, let's do we, we have another break, don't we? Do we what? And then we'll come back with a word of the day and phone calls. I have no idea what I'm doing. It's not pledge drive, but oh, by the way, thank you. That was amazing. All right. Let's 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 take a break. We'll come back in a minute. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. I'll be waiting on the far side banks of Jordan. I'll be sitting drawing pictures in the sand. Oh, amen. All right, you know... I, I just, I don't know if I've shared one of the slogans by which I try to live. Food and music should not hurt. Sometimes uh, people are professional uh, musicians, grow increasingly deaf, and don't realize that they're hurting people with things like organs. And, uh, you know, you go to a wedding and, and you think that blood pouring out of orifices in people's heads would, would let the DJ know that... The music is too loud. I can't stand going to weddings where they have a DJ because, well, 
you see people you'd actually like to talk to, but that's not a possibility. Um, you know, I, I guess I complain a lot, but I shouldn't. Because you see, all of these horrible things I'm talking about, I'm guilty of all of them. I was young once and did stupid things. Now I'm old and still doing stupid things, but at least I've learned a little bit. All right, enough said. Let's go to the word of the day. Yeah, it says something odd here uh, um, in the gospel that um, uh, he Jesus is throwing over tables with money and he's whipping people and he is telling the bird sellers take a hike. And his disciples were called the words of scripture zeal for your house will consume me well that that is of course uh in uh uh let's see where it's in psalm is it uh, 69 verse 9 so um it's a quote from scripture and i decided to look up the word zeal and in hebrew it's uh kina and that word means jealousy it's it's uh um Ardor, zeal, jealousy, uh, but it, it's, it's, it, jealousy? Yeah. And so I decided to look up the Greek word, zealos, which means eagerness, zeal, enthusiasm, jealousy, rivalry. Uh, there is a text that I've never heard anyone preach about. Uh, let me pull it up. Um, have you ever heard this? Uh, you remember that song, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Yona Adonai? It's El Kana. That means the jealous God. This is interesting. Um, the Lord says, my name is jealous. Uh, um, isn't that something? The Lord your God is a jealous God. Uh, uh, whose name is Jealous, Kana. God's name is Jealous? Yes. Have you ever heard the poem, The Hound of Heaven, in which it's a, it's, it compares God to a, a hound that will chase you down? Well, is jealousy a virtue? Not for me, it's not, because I don't have the right to be jealous. I never created anything out of nothing. In fact, I often create nothing out of something, or at least a molehill, <laughs> a mountain out of a molehill. But uh, this idea of a jealous God, jealousy for your house has consumed me. You know, this is a certain, this isn't anger. This is to love God above all things even more than your own preferences and desires and wishes. So I think that idea that God is jealous for you, he wants you to himself. He won't force you to love him, but he wants you for himself. And this house was built for him. It wasn't built for Herod. It wasn't built for the family of Annas. It was built for him. And, and you know, my, my endless tirades about the liturgy, you better realize, and I better realize, I, the priest, had better realize that God is a jealous God. His name is jealous. Mass is about him. It isn't about me and what I like. It isn't about me and my favorite songs. It isn't about me and my emotional feelings about Jesus. It's about God. God, the God we worship, is a jealous God. His name is jealous. And so jealousy for your house has consumed me, said the Lord. He can, he can get away with it because he's God. <laughs> 
I can't. All right, with that thought, let us go to... Oh, that's a different thing. I bet you never heard that. Well, surprise, surprise. Yeah. Yes, the phones are... Who have we got on the line, dear voice in my head? Mark from Lexington, are you with me? I am, Father. Thanks for letting me be part of your joyful universe. Well, it's 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 it's, it's an okay universe <laughs> when the weather's good. But what can I do for you? Well, uh, we have been praying along with Father Rocky's Rosary, and they are mm-hmm. doing uh, a crawl across the screen for souls that people, um, family members, etc., that mm-hmm. they believe are in purgatory and need their prayers. And I yeah. see quite a few of them going across for aborted babies. And mm-hmm. are aborted yeah. babies in purgatory, and do they need our prayers? I, they certainly aren't in purgatory. Um, when you see the name of an aborted baby, I would say pray for its mother and father and the doctor who killed it. Um, you know, I, I, I people are... are uh, you know, I, I think if there are requests being scrolled for aborted babies, those are probably sent in by people who have had the abortion. That would be my suspicion. Or people who know people who've had the abortion. You know, what happens to people who die without baptism, we don't know. Uh, there was a theory about the limbo of the just. In other words, people who, God in his justice, would create this wonderful uh, paradise. However... Um, they would not have the vision of God. That was one theory. Pope Benedict uh, had the um, um, Pope Benedict said that that in God and His justice and mercy would work this out. And I think that's the best answer. But strictly speaking, no, the aborted babies are not in purgatory. Uh, but when you see that, what we should do is pray for those who who caused them. Uh, to be aborted. Uh, the phone line, by the way, so I hope that helps a little bit. Um, um, it does seem odd, but I, I hope that helps. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. All right. Uh, Patricia from San Diego, are you with us? I am, Father. I just turned the radio on and the topic of music during Mass. I prefer math without music, and the parish I go to now has music at all their masses, and it's just so yep. loud, the organ's so loud. How can I try to get that changed in my parish church? Do you have any ideas? Oh, oh, Patricia. If you find out, please tell me. I'm doing this whole endless spiel on mass hysteria, in the hopes that pastors will establish at least one mass in their parish that's Catholic instead of the for him uh, blaring organ or blaring orchestra pit. You know, I, I think probably you wouldn't mind music if it was part of the mass. One of the things that I've been saying is Catholics aren't supposed to sing hymns at mass. They're supposed to sing the mass. And Gregorian chant sung very simply is a very good thing and draws us into prayer. But I think what you're talking about is the 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 loud, ostentatious kind of um, uh, incoherent music. This is would you say that's true? That's true. Sometimes I look at the priest sitting up there or standing, and it's like it's not his mass. It's the guy that's or the lady that's singing through the whole mass. 
It's like yes, it's, yes. It's not the math. Yeah. It's just the performance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of what we're talking about, and I think that has to end. Um, perhaps, I don't know what you do other than, you know, you get yourself involved with the church, get to know the pastor, be the person he calls to volunteer, to clean the hall, and uh, once you get to know him, then maybe you can say, Father, you know, I've wanted to talk to, about the, to you about this for a while. Of course, we priests are terrified of, of music directors frequently. Um, it is a funny thing about the clergy. We don't like to get into a good fight. And uh, um, music is something people get really upset about, either for or against it. And, um, you know, I, I, I have been in situations where the whole parish was d divided over the music. And uh, um, it, it's kind of a, a tough thing. And I think that we probably do need some real liturgical reform regarding music but i you know we just you got to start somewhere so i would say get to know the pastor uh and not in a critical way just be a servant in the parish and um then when you really are part of that community uh, make make a make a mention that that's how i would do it you got to be part of something there is a saying that one can come to control any organization simply by attending all of its meetings I'm not saying that you should want to control the parish, heaven forfend, but to be able to to make a constructive change uh, in a parish um, by both speaking and by listening. you got to hear what people are saying. I think that that is a laudable goal. So I wish you luck on it. It's a project that takes years, but hey, if it's for the glory of God, why not? Hope that helps a little bit. It does. Thank you. You give me hope. Thank you very God bless. much. And thanks for listening. Who we got now, dear voice in my head? Rita from Bozeman. I do enjoy Bozeman. It, uh, Montana folks are nice. I, I know a few people there. It's a beautiful state, though it tends to have blizzards in April. But what, Rita, what can I do for you? <laughs> it does. So my question is, can a non-Catholic Christian with mortal sin how can they receive grace to change their life? Hmm. You know, grace simply means an undeserved favor. So the fact that someone is in sin doesn't exclude them from grace, not sanctifying grace. You, you have to, you, you have to confess your sins and repent from them to be in a state of sanctifying grace. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean the sacrament of reconciliation. If a person is not, it's not available to them, God can work around it. Because, well, we're bound by the sacraments. The catechism says God is not. But grace is a free gift, an undeserved gift. And the, the, the fact of the crucifixion is a grace. It's a gift. So he died once and for all for sinners, as we, we heard on Sunday. I should make that my word of the day tomorrow. But he died once and for all for sinners. So, if that person uh, beholds Christ, you know, Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. That if he can see Christ on the cross and the beauty of the cross, that beauty and that love might just open his heart. And how is he going to see that? I think we have to volunteer to be grace for that person. 
You know, and I always say when you can't speak Christ, you have to be Christ uh, in, in a certain sense. We'll never be Christ, but but we have to be uh, the representative of Christ by our kindness, by our compassion, by our love. So how can a, a, a non-Catholic in a state of, of mortal sin uh, ever receive grace? God can do it because he can do all things. And if we offer ourselves to that to that work, uh, in, in the sense of being, you know, why are you being so kind to me? I remember hearing a story about Mother Teresa. She was bathing some leper's feet, and uh, the leper who believed that that uh, he was being punished for something he did in a former life, he said, why are you doing this to me? Why are you serving me? He says, because I, I'm trying to be, to be like Christ. And the guy said, uh, is is Christ like you? And he said, she said, no, no, but I try to be like him. And he said, I want to be baptized. So she was the gospel to him. And so that's how a person who is Protestant and in mortal sin, uh, uh, you know, that God, God can make a way when, when confession is not available to someone because God will not hold us responsible for something we've not been given. But God can make a way and you might just be that way. Does that help a little? It does. God bless. And, uh, yeah. and how's the weather? How's the weather in post? I love Montana. I really do. It's, it's a such beautiful a beautiful place. Fall for once. Oh, yeah. I shouldn't tell people Both that Montana is so beautiful. They'll all go there. <laughs> but be warned, it can get cold. <laughs> and there oh, are yeah. buffalo, which can be really? surly animals. Yes. All right. Thanks so much for yeah. calling in and thanks for listening. Who have we got now, dear voice in my head? Paul from Mesa, Arizona. Are you with us, Paul? Yes, I'm here. God bless you, Father. Well, he has um, so far. <laughs> hey, um, I'm 51 now in my life, and um, I really haven't found out what to do as far as career-wise in my life. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to know what God wants me to do. You know, I, I don't sure. want to pick what I want to do all the time. What, what way can I go about finding that? I remember asking uh, uh, an old and wise priest when I was when I was in the seminary, asking him how you knew you had a vocation to the priesthood, and he said that if it's what you want in your deepest heart, it's what God wants. Scripture says He'll give us the desire of our heart. The problem is we always confuse ourselves. <laughs> the desire of our heart with the desire of our head. We think, oh, I really want a million dollars. No, you don't. You think you do. What you want is is peace and the ability to provide for people. Now, work is 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 um, a punishment in a sense for the sin of Adam and Eve. That's why we call it work. You got to put bread on the table. But uh, uh, the desire of our deepest heart, that which we really love. For instance, a carpenter who loves carpentry, or a painter who loves to paint. Um, that sort of thing is, is it's, it's rare that a person can make a living, uh, with their passion, but, uh, to know the will of God is to know your deepest heart, I think. And that's not easy. You really have to spend time in prayer and you give it to God completely. You say, Lord, you take it. You do with my life what you want. And I know you'll do the best. Um, uh, that's uh, that's sort of how I prepared for the priesthood. Well, um, speaking of God doing his best, Drew's coming up, and he does a pretty good job there. <laughs>